Before I get to the jokes thing, though, it's the 200th anniversary of the untimely early death of Jane Austen. And I, I, I think she's... I've read all her books before, I believe, but I thought I'd read them all again. So I read Sense and Sensibility, and that was really great fun. Then the next one was Pride and Prejudice, and that is absolutely cracking. It really is a cracking read. I do recommend it. I mean, it is laugh-out-loud good. I mean, it really is very good. I'm now ploughing my way through Mansfield Park, and it is, it's a bit of a struggle, actually. Fanny Price just isn't that endearing a heroine, and, and I just... What is the plot? It's, uh, I think Jane Austen dropped the ball with Mansfield Park. But anyway, she's on the £10, new £10 note, isn't she? So that's really good. People like Jane Austen actually invented the English novel, the novel really as an art form. And so they're really remarkable pioneers and um, worth celebrating. So anyway, that's a quick encouragement to... Uh, you might, if you don't read novels, well, don't bother. But uh, I really recommend Pride and Prejudice. Now, uh, last week, Keith was talking to us about the stories Jesus made up. And, of course, you know, Jane Austen's stories are made up, but they're based on reflections on her observation of life. And the same with Jesus. The stories he made up were like that. Now, I wonder how many of you, going back to jokes, have heard those kind of jokes that start something like an Englishman, an Irishman, and a Scotsman. Have you... You heard jokes like that? Yep. Now, obviously, Jesus didn't tell jokes that started like an Englishman, an Irishman, and a Scotsman. You, you know why, don't you, right? Because um, that he lived in a different part of the world and, uh, and stuff, and they probably didn't use those titles at that time. So most of his stories involve different groups of people, and uh, the story today has a rich man and a poor man, okay, a beggar. So that just happens to be... And they're both Jews, but then he was a Jew, he was talking to Jews, so it was to do with Jews. But we don't need to turn off and say, well, I'm not a Jew, I don't live in Israel. The story is illustrative. If he had been here in Britain at the time, he probably would have started, there was an Englishman and an Irishman and a Scotsman, okay? Now, the other thing is that um, we quite often have jokes that can be like the Englishman, Irishman and Scotsman, where they go, an Englishman, an Irishman and a Scotsman turned up at the pearly gates and there was St. Peter. Have you heard that style of joke? So, so here's one of them I've heard. You know, a man arrives at the pearly gates and he's being sort of checked in to heaven by St. Peter and, um, and St. Peter's got his clipboard and his checklist. And he says, now for transport, uh, you've been allocated that little Skoda over there. And the guy looks downcast and he says, well, you know, I was hoping for like, you know, a Jag or a BMW. And uh, St. Peter sort of looked at his clipboard and said, well, I'm sorry, you really, you've not earned enough points on earth to get a BMW or a Jag, so it's this little Skoda for you. And then the guy suddenly bursts out laughing and St. Peter says, well, what are you laughing about? He says, I've just seen a bishop on roller skates. <laughs> and... <laughs> Now, you've probably heard jokes like that, haven't you? You might have heard that joke even. And, um, but uh, Jesus is telling a story of that kind because they also told stories like that in the ancient world. And the story we're going to look at this morning is one of those kinds of stories. It's in Luke 16. The text will come up on the screen. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to look it up or just follow it on the screen. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate 
was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. So we've got this scenario, we've got the rich man, we've got the um, beggar at the gate. So there was a rich man, dressed in purple, fine linen, living in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Let's just take the... um, Well, actually, we'll read the rest of it and then we'll go back. Uh, Even the dogs came and licked his sores. And then verse 22. The time came when the beggar died... And the angels carried him to Abraham's side. So he's talking to Jews, so he's talking in these terms. Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation and therefore the most important person in in the new heaven and new earth. And um, the rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was in torment. Hades is the unpleasant part of the afterlife. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So the rich man called to Lazarus, uh, sorry, called to him, to Abraham, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, A great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. And the rich man answered, Well, then I beg you, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. And Abraham replied, Well, they have Moses and the prophets, what we call the Old Testament. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, rich man said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And Abraham said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. A rather prophetic statement. So, Father God, I want to thank you for the stories that your son Jesus made up while he was on earth. And we pray that the stories would illuminate us and Uh, win us. We thank you that he told the stories to make the truth embed in us and to make it beautiful to us and to attract us to put our faith in you. In Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. Let's straight away deal with the discomfort we feel at this passage because it kind of is talking about heaven and hell and you might be thinking, whoa, I don't, this hell business, that's just what I thought these Christians believed in and, uh, and it's cruel that they're harsh God. But, you know, I want to say that human beings actually have a keen sense of justice. We are outraged and you see that. You only have to read the papers any day of the week. Human beings are outraged by evil. They are outraged by injustice. They are outraged by cruelty to children and there's something right about that and it's, it's we are outraged by these things because we're made in the image of a just God so the idea in fact that um, uh, uh, that, that you know that some elderly this elderly chap was murdered stabbed to death in the week just out walking his dog wasn't he 82 year olds you just think that's outrageous or the awful stories of this these people who were in, in, trafficked in or in human slavery that came out this week when these people were imprisoned or the poor children abused and sexually abused in the latest trial up in, was it Newcastle, somewhere up there. Uh, these are appalling things. 
or, or the, we even think there's something wrong about those 80 people who died in that Grenfell Tower tragedy and because of the mistakes that were made there's some kind of culpability somewhere surely to do with this. So these impulses for justice are God-given and they reveal how we're made in God's image and in fact human beings are often very cross about God because we don't see the justice we think ought to be there. Because we see apparently wicked people prospering and bad things happen, we're very cross with God. And, and so actually I want to say to you, actually a story like this is telling you, yes, God cares about injustice and it matters to him. So, so don't get angry with God, get angry with evil. Um, because actually there are boundaries, there are sanctions. This universe is governed by a moral God and he will uh, bring justice in the end. And so God wants us to know, Jesus wants us to know when he tells a story like this, there are boundaries, there are sanctions and uh, he uh, will bring about justice. So um, before telling the story here. Jesus had been teaching about bad attitudes to people, to money, and so he moves along to tell this story. It has to do with these things. And so we have the story, um, uh, Abraham we have there up in heaven, we have the rich man, we have the poor man. And uh, you'll see that the rich man calls Abraham his father, he's of Jewish descent. And then in verse 25, Abraham replied, son. And the word son there is a very tender word. So it's a very tender word towards this rich man. And so he's very identified as a Jewish person, but the, the, the people Jesus was speaking to when he told the story were Pharisees. They're a particular party of the Jewish leaders of that day. Uh, they were the party that believed in a resurrection. There was another big party of Jewish leaders called Sadducees. They didn't believe in a resurrection, so this wouldn't have been a very good story to tell them. Do you, do you follow? But for the Pharisees, it was an appropriate story. And... The interesting thing is, this is the only story Jesus ever made up and told in which one of the characters is given a name. And so that's the poor man, and he's given the name Lazarus. Lazarus is actually the Greek version of the Hebrew name Eliezer. Right? And we have the Eliezers here this morning. <laughs> and uh, so it is, Lazarus and Eliezer mean the same thing, and it means the one whom God has helped. So his name means the one whom God has helped. Isn't that intriguing that Jesus would make up a story and give this poor beggar man the name, the one whom God has helped. I want you to say with me, I am the one whom God has helped. I am the one whom God has helped. Because Jesus deliberately chose that name. This is not some accident. And he gave it to the poor beggar. And we have to kind of grapple with that and you see like the vic story of the, vicar, the bishop on the roller skates this is a story in which there's tr unexpected reversals especially for the Pharisees listening to this story because as f there was very much amongst Jewish people the thought that if you were prosperous that was evidence you were blessed and if you were poor that was evidence you were not in God's favour and so the story really challenges their thinking so the, let's start with this rich man then, because we get in verse 19 to 23, we have this contrast. We have the rich man banqueting and the poor man in pain. Then we have the poor man banqueting in, in, Ab in Abraham's bosom and the rich man in pain. 
And so uh, let's just be quite clear about this. The Bible is not against people because they're rich. There's plenty of rich people, including Abraham, actually, that uh, God commends very much. The moral failure of this rich man is not his wealth, but in his unbelieving and uncompassionate attitudes, what he does with his wealth. So the Bible nowhere speaks against eating good food, wearing good clothes, or living in a lovely home. It's just your heart attitude and what you do with the privileges you have. Jesus, with just a few words, paints a marvellous word picture of this rich man. He was dressed in purple. You probably know this, but purple dye was an extre- the most expensive dye. So to have purple clothes, they were really, really expensive. So this tells us he had really expensive clothes. What's more, this is the fine linen. This is telling us about his underwear. All right? And it's the same word as I understood in ancient texts could refer to Egyptian cotton. Now, some of you probably still buy Egyptian cotton, maybe for sheets or stuff like that, and they sell it by thread count and stuff like that, don't they? So it's still a highly prized and expensive form. So he had top-notch boxer shorts. They were in Egyptian cotton, right? And... um, so, and remember, this is most likely a story Jesus made up. So he's picked on these details to convey something to the people listening. And it says he lived in luxury every day, right? So um, it, it, literally he was being merry every day. He was celebrating every day. And the word celebrating is not a bad word. It's not, this is not a morally critical word because the same word is used of the father in the story of the prodigal son. When the prodigal son turns back, it says they made merry. It's the same word. They celebrated. So this is a good word. But there's a little hint here because he does this every day. Now, a good Pharisee would have fasted once a week. So this guy is a... Wait a minute, you know, he's, he's rich, so he must be blessed, but, but wait a minute, he doesn't fast once a week. And, and we also, he also has a big house, because later on we learn that, he, that Lazarus was by the gate, right? Now, wealthy people in those days didn't live out in the countryside. That was too dangerous. You always, if you were wealthy, lived in the town or village. Um, but if you were wealthy, you probably have your, if you were poorer, your property literally was straight onto the alleyways. If you've ever been to a North African sort of souk or anything like that properties just narrow alleyways and stuff like that but if you're richer then you have a wall round and a house in between but then a bit of a garden and a gate and you have some dogs of course it's just like people living in gated residences today that's what rich rich people get to do and there's no hint in here that this poor man got his riches by cheating, unlike some of the other rich people Jesus met or talked about. And then we get the poor man, Lazarus, given a name. Again, a terrific word picture, painted with a few words. He was thrown down at the gate, probably the best place to beg in the village because he was a rich guy. He'd have had rich friends who would be coming to visit, wouldn't they? They'd be doing their business or whatever. Um, good place to beg. And, of course, many countries, we don't get much begging in, in Britain today. Of course, you do in cities, but you probably don't get begged off very often. But if you go many countries in the world, you'll be begged off a great deal. And this would have been the sort of culture that that, that was happening. People would be coming after you. I've been in countries where the kids are coming and they're literally kind of touching your hands, seeking something from you. Um, because uh, and, and so this was very much that this, they were familiar with this thing. And now the beggar, he was a beggar because he was destitute. He was unable to move. That's what the story tells us. He was um, le- he was thrown down at the gate, and um, so uh, he was not. He was disabled in some way, and that's why he was destitute. And 
he was um, what's more he was covered with sores maybe because he was disabled maybe paralyzed in some way he would develop pressure sores because they wouldn't be attended to properly he's malnourished so any gash becomes infected so there's lots of sores on his body it's not a happy place to be is it this is not where any of us would would kind of and he's given the name Lazarus right the one whom God has blessed whom God has helped And he was very hungry. And that's not a pleasant place to be. We sometimes meet people who come into the food bank. And it's interesting. We have biscuits and stuff there. But I've sometimes, I'm not often there. But I've sometimes found they won't actually take the biscuits and things or eat them. I don't know. Because sometimes when you're very hungry, you, your stomach shrinks, doesn't it? And you, you, it's, you can be in a sad place. So he was very hungry, longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Just the leftovers. He didn't get those. You know, Father God has actually given us quite a feeding people kind of calling in this church. When you think about it, food bank, eat well, spend less. I mean, just a helping hand is slightly food thing. The summer lunch project engagement, which I need more sign-ups, actually, volunteers this week for, for that. Um, even revive, it's to do with feeding people. There's something of a call of God upon us to feed people. And so let's, let's embrace that just, just as, an, as an aside. It's a theme. It's something the Holy Spirit has brought into this church. But back to Lazarus. I don't know about you, but I think he, he could have become pretty bitter and angry in this situation. And yet Jesus doesn't put any bitter words in this tongue. He's not one of those curse curse God and die people there's a character in the Old Testament and that's her opinion uh, when her husband has got sores on his body and all the rest and uh, he was picking at his sores with some old bit broken pots if you've read the story of Job and his wife tells him oh you should curse God and die there was probably people walked past Lazarus who said oh you should curse God but he didn't there's no recording instead Jesus gives him this name in fact in this story Lazarus never says a word but he's given this name, the one whom God has helped. Is that mockery? I don't think so. It's, Jesus is telling a story in which this man has faith. Because just as rich, the rich man is not in trouble because he was rich, but because of his lack of faith, so this poor man is blessed because he has faith. Right? He's, he's not saved because he's poor. He is blessed because he has faith not all destitute people have faith Lazarus did not all rich people despise the poor the rich man did and this is the problem it's a very detail in this story so um, and it says in the translation even the dogs came and licked his sores all the English translations do this but it's interesting apparently all the translations into Arabic uh, have it as but the dogs came and licked his sores Right? It's actually a positive turn here. And it is true, I've looked up, I've read the scholars, what the Bible scholars say. They, in the Greek it says, but. And actually we know in the ancient world, people, wealthier people used to pay to have dogs lick their wounds. Because you know saliva is antiseptic. It's actually a good thing an animal will lick its own wounds. And so this was actually a mercy. This was a kindness that these dogs... And because think about it, these are guard dogs. What do guard dogs do with intruders? Well, they're nasty at them. And, and they come and bite them maybe or, or snarl at them. 
But God arranged it so these dogs, who were being fed from the leftovers from the table that Lazarus didn't get, were coming and licking his wounds. Now Jesus then introduces the great leveler into the story, death. Because you know death affects everyone. Death and taxes, the one guaranteed thing. You know the story of the two guys talking at the bar in the pub and one of them says, hey, did you hear that Ian died? No, really? How much did he leave? Why? Everything, of course. Right? Because that's the truth, right? It's, it is the great leveller. And so in the story then we read here in verse, uh, uh, where are we? Um, um, verse, uh, yes, 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. We're not told what happened to the beggar's body, but we know that what did happen to paupers in, in the ancient world was the body would just get thrown off into the refuse heap. There was no burial. Nobody wanted to pay for it. There was no money to pay for it. They were just thrown onto the refuse heap. So we're not told what happened to his body because nothing important did happen. We're just told that, in, that his spirit was brought up um, to uh, Abraham. The rich man, by the way, was buried. He had money. He had a posh burial. It, there was in flowers. It said, Dad, you know, in flowers. And... And, um, and a great big array, and there was probably two horses with like feathers on the top, towing a carriage and all glazed, and the coffin would have been wonderful. Um, you know, if you don't believe in the resurrection, you make an awful lot of the body when someone's died. But when you believe in the resurrection, there's still customs which are important, but you don't need to make so much of the body because you believe in the resurrection. And um, so... Um, so we have such a reversal here and uh, the, for the Pharisees. They were thinking, well, the rich man, he would get to be with Abraham because he's wealthy, because he must be blessed by God. And the poor man obviously has done something wrong in his life, so therefore he's under God's disfavor, so he should end up in Hades. And Jesus completely reverses the story. And um, because for, for them, a lot of them would have this mindset, destitution was proof you'd sinned and vice versa. Jesus often rejected that way of thinking. And, you know, we need to hear that still in our own day. Because I, you know, I meet people week by week who say to them, well, I'm not that important and I don't count. People who probably feel a bit like this beggar Lazarus, but who don't, who don't have the faith of this beggar who could actually own the name Lazarus, the one whom God has helped. What a great way to be able to speak about ourselves. Our, our identity is so important. And actually to hold on to that identity would have been so easy. Many of us, if we were in the circumstances of this beggar, we would give up our identity in Christ. How powerful the story of these Japanese Christians. You may be there, isolated, away, four hours driving. That's a long way. That's a long, long way. I mean, our daughter lives in Leeds. That's three and a half hours. I, I, I consider that a real mission. To, to, to go that. Imagine that. So it's further than Leeds. That's like going up to, to Harrogate or somewhere a bit further north than that. That's a long way to go just to find another Christian. So how many of us would just give up with that level of difficulty? That's what, that's what the testimony was telling us. And that we have it so easy and we give up so much more easily. How crazy is that? So there's something really wise uh, that, that we can learn out of this. 
right? It's not how strong your body is, how able your mind is, how pretty your face, how successful your career. These things don't cut any ice with God. The rich man was really rich. He had a big house, but he has no name because his name isn't in the book of life. But Lazarus, who was poor, disabled, and with sores all over his body, his name was in the book of life. And so he is, has a name. You know, God is so kind to us in that... I really enjoyed Slumdog Millionaire. I know it's a few, nearly 10 years since that film came out, uh, directed by Danny Boyle. But you have these two young slum dwellers who are the hero and heroine of the story, Jamal and Latika. And, um, you know, she gets sucked into a gangster's thing where she becomes, in effect, like a sex slave in this gangster's. And she tries to escape to go back to Jamal, and she's punished by them cutting her face and scarring her. And eventually when they are reunited in a redemptive act, Jamal getting to her pushes aside the scarf which she's using to hide the scar and tenderly kisses her scar. And that's like what God does with us. He sees the worst about us. He sees the mess we're in. But we don't need to come hiding it. He wants to come and just gently move the veil aside and kiss us with his tender love right where we have messed up worst of all. That is what our God does. That is what the rich man could have experienced if only he had turned to God before he had died. But it's something Lazarus had experienced. Lazarus wasn't saved because of his poverty. He was saved because of his faith, the faith expressed in his name, the one whom God had helped. Now, I, I just before I move on from this, I just want to say, I think we actually, we, we can think, oh, we're not like those the ancient Jewish views back then, thinking that rich people are obviously rich because they're blessed by God, and poor people are obviously poor because they're, they've, they've done something bad. I want to say, I think we are too infected with that view ourselves. I think that very often we have that thought. And uh, we can think that, oh, Britain has had an empire and we're rich because we were a Christian country or something like that. I don't believe there's any scriptural ground for talking about Christian countries as an aside. But I think these views can be very mistaken. We can, so we need to be very, very careful about these things. Because a lot of us are talking ourselves down because we don't feel our life was terribly successful. Maybe we've had mental health issues. Maybe we, we've had marriages that broke down and there, and there was things like that. And we can feel, oh, I'm nothing at all. I've had all this misfortune. God doesn't, I'm not blessed. I don't count. I'm not that important. I'm glad, I, I feel a bit that God loves me, but it's only just unlike all these successful people who are very beautiful or have had a great career or successful businesses. Do you, you know that way of thinking? Just, I just want to ask you, to invite you, don't let those things cause you... I believe in general, if we, if we work hard, God will prosper us. I think scripture teaches that. But there's no guarantees about that. And wealth is not a sign that we are under God's favour and poverty is not a sign that we're not under God's favour. Right? And so it's important we remember that. Faith is the crucial thing. The biggest question, as I said a couple of weeks ago, to ask ourselves is, am I under God's favour? And if not, how do I get God's favour? That is the most important question you can ask of yourself. 
And so, you know, even thinking about our church, we can think, oh, that church down the road, they're growing, so they must be blessed of God. Or we can think when our church is growing, oh, our church is growing, we must be blessed. And then conversely, oh, our church has been shrinking, we're obviously not blessed anymore. This kind of thinking can be upon us, actually. It can be subconsciously in us, and it's actually wrong. Jesus is teaching that that kind of thinking is wrong because he gave the name Lazarus, the one whom God has helped, to a beggar. The important thing is, are you being helped by God? Are you seeing his help in your life? So the, for the purpose of this story, we get a dramatic conversation. I, I should, should bring this to a close. So I just want to say I don't think people in Paradise and Hades can probably talk to one another. It's just a dramatic and interesting thing to do uh, for the purpose of the story. But the interesting thing is that in the conversation, Lazarus, it turns out that the rich man did know who Lazarus was because he looks up at Abraham and says, my goodness, there's that guy Lazarus. So he knew who he was all along. So he'd never fed him, but he knew who he was. But he'd ignored him. And, um, and he's still looking down on him because he, do you notice he doesn't, he talks over Lazarus and says, uh, Abraham, can you send that Lazarus guy? He's still looking down on Lazarus now. Do you see? He keeps doing it. And, um, uh, and, uh, but it says, but Abraham replied and he denies the request if, uh, in the prayer. This is verse 25. Uh, yep, you know, he denies the request. Matthew Henry says, he that denied a crumb is denied a drop. It's a powerful little quote. But notice what the rich man is told. He's told to remember. Son, Abraham replied, verse 25, remember. Right? Remember what? What is he told to remember? You see, he saw Lazarus with his eyes, but he had never seen Lazarus with his heart. And we can see, we can read in the papers that there are people, maybe 30,000 people in modern slavery in Britain today. And we maybe have seen them. They say most people will have been served by these slaves, maybe at a car wash or whatever. But we, don't, we see with our eyes, we don't see with our hearts. How we need God's help, his compassion to see with our hearts, not just with our eyes. We've been entrusted with so much. That's what the rich man is reminded. I gave you so much. What did you do with it? <laughs> That's the bottom line here, isn't it? Abraham's telling the rich man. Um, the rich man showed no interest in the good God who gave him so many things richly to enjoy. And so he never asked himself why he'd been given so much. He only ever thought of himself. And then the rich man actually quarrels with Abraham. I mean, he, he says that he wants messengers to go to his brothers so that they will repent. He understands there's supposed to be some kind of change of thinking here. And yet if we go on this slide, um, he, he, he actually says no to Abraham at some point. I can't remember which verse it is. Um, so, oh, verse 30. Yes, no, Father Abraham. He actually quarrels with Abraham. And you think, no, that's, that's a stupid step to take. Don't do that. You know, sometimes people, we will quarrel with God. And, and you think, that's, that's daft. Don't quarrel with God. Uh, Abraham, as it were, representing God's messenger here. So, uh, there's this great reversal. So uh, let, let's remember, let's respond. It's good to, resp to, to see these requests. But, uh, you know, once again, it seems to me here, we, we have to cope. We're told here there's no way of, there's a chasm you can't pass between heaven and hell, between Hades and paradise, slightly different things. We won't go into the theological niceties of that. 
And again, we might say, oh, that's really cruel of God. Surely once you've actually died and you see that there really is a God, you should have the opportunity to be able to turn by faith to God then. Well, the Bible makes it clear, actually, no, there is, this life is your opportunity to turn to God. Oh, that, you might say, that's really cruel. I want to tell you, I think the human beings are more cruel, far, I don't think that is cruel, it's justice, but actually human beings often don't allow for redemption even in this life. People say, oh, it's a bad and is a bad and that's it. They should lock them up and throw away the key. Uh, human beings actually have very little hope for redemption of their fellow human beings. But the scripture makes us so that we do believe in redemption. So, so just wrapping up here, what, uh, I wonder what, who you identified within the story. Was it the rich man? Was it Lazarus? Which, which do you feel you're most like, actually? Of the two. I know you might say, oh, I'm not really like either. But if I forced choice like some of those psychometric tests you get to do when you go for some jobs, and you've got to choose between which is your life most like, Lazarus or the rich man? Abraham, man of faith. Abraham, man of faith. I see. He's not accepting the forced choice. That's good. You shouldn't accept the terms of the argument, shouldn't you? You know, the, the modern world talks about checking your privilege. And we sometimes need to think about what's the privilege that I am occupying, the place of privilege, because we usually have actually many privileges and we might meet someone who has not had all those privileges and we need to think about that. The rich man never thought about that. He just enjoyed the privileges that God had given him. And God's given us those privileges to uplift others. And the rich man had a huge sense of entitlement, actually. Even though he'd enjoyed all these good gifts, the moment he's in agony, he, he just uh, thinks... He didn't bother about Lazarus being in pain all those years. The moment he's in a little bit of pain, Lazarus, you've got to come straight away. You know, bring a drip of water. Come on. He's got a huge sense of entitlement. Maybe at your workplace, maybe in your marriage, maybe with your parents, you behave like a prima donna with a huge sense of entitlement, a huge chip on your shoulder. Why, why wasn't that done for me or whatever? And Abraham's advice, come on, remember all the good things you've had. Stop it. Don't, don't have this terrible sense of entitlement that's spoiling your spirit. <clears throat> the, the, the rich man behaves like he's been hard done by and overlooked and misused. It's completely untrue. <laughs> it's Lazarus who's been hard done by, overlooked and misused. And Lazarus, by contrast, has such an attitude of gratitude. He, 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 you know, I'm the one whom God has helped. He embraces his name. So let's read and listen to the Bible. Jesus says, let them listen to Moses and the prophets. I encourage you, maybe you're visiting here today. This autumn we're planning to run a course called Christianity Explored. We'll allow you to look at the Gospel of Mark. Why don't you come and look at what the Bible says? Because it's a very, very great signpost. And you'll notice in the story here that... Um, Abraham emphasizes there's a great chasm, verse 26, has been set in place so that those who want to go from here in paradise to you in Hades cannot. 
You think, who could that possibly be? And you know, there's just a kind of hint that maybe Lazarus was saying, I'll take him a drop of water to Abraham. So I, I would take, I'd like to go and take him a drop of water. It's not reported because no speech is given to Lazarus in the story. But it's like, why would Abraham say this? It's like uh, Lazarus is tapping him on the shoulder, you know, ta- you know like I'm, I'm willing with an eager face, maybe not even saying the word. But Abraham looking at the rich man is saying, if any want to go from here to you, they cannot. But we thank God that there is one who came from heaven to earth, who crossed a great chasm to bring us more than just a drop of water, to bring us salvation and his goodness and his kindness, to come and kiss the scar that we may be uh, received forever. And, uh, and so we are sent in his name to warn others as Megan has been to Japan and lived with that family and told them of the God who loves them. And in that heavily merit-based society, just exactly the same scenario actually, where they would think, oh, the rich person is privileged and blessed. The Lazarus has lost face. He's dishonored. He's shamed for his poverty. And the reversal happens. And this message that people, because we so want to earn our good merit, earn the respect that we get. And God is saying, no, you cannot earn it. You must receive this as a gift. And so we share it with others. So just finishing with the story of Mother Teresa about sharing. She she says, I'll never forget the night an old gentleman came to our house and said there was a family with eight children and they had not eaten. And could we do something for them? So I took some rice and went there. And the mother took the rice from my hands. Then she divided it into two parts and went out of the house. I could see the faces of the children shining with hunger. When she came back, I asked where she had gone with that half of the rice Mother Teresa had bought. She gave me a very simple answer. They are hungry also. And they were the family next door. That's why I think Lazarus would have been there tapping Abraham. Let let me go. But you can't go once you're died. Mission is impossible once you're dead. But mission is possible while we're still alive. So, dear friends, you are, are you breathing? <sighs> you are alive then. And you have the privilege of sharing the rice. Like Megan's done in Japan. Like we do when we go out on healing in the streets. Like we shared something of Christ's goodness here yesterday. And countless other ways. In an organized way or informally. We share the rice. God bless us in that.